Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. <laughs> living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Episode 237 with Becky Shippos. Hi, Becky. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super I'm, excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. For one, I'm going to make some caveats here in the very beginning. Okay. Sure. For one, I said I wasn't going to be on, but I am because this was really important. And Be I've known Becky for 14 years because I've been mm -hmm. so for over 14 years, right? Mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. came into the program. Yeah. First deciding to get sober and I met you and then you called me because you listened to the podcast, which is so awesome because I love to have listeners on. And I have to say, it's really cute because her kids sing the song, don't they? Yes, they do. They love it. The other day, actually, my daughter, Ruby, we were playing, I don't know, like restaurant or something. And she's like doing orders. And she's like, I have to call welcome to and ask her what she wants. What's her order? I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but you know what else is funny is that um, your sobriety date is my actual birthday. So that's why I always remembered it, August 14th. And I remember telling you that years and years ago. So I always remember that. We're kindred spirits, aren't we? Yes, totally. Yep. So tell us what you said prior to recording. What is it like to tell your story and what it was like and what happened and what it's like today? Well, you know, as you already shared, I listen to your podcast all the time and um, that's how we reconnected. What, what is it? What, six months ago now, maybe. Yeah. And whenever you start out your podcasts and you say to the person, you know, tell us what was it like, what happened and what is it like now? I just think that's such a big question. Um, and I don't want to say it like overwhelms me, but at the same time, like, as I pause and think about it, it's such a, there's so much in it. Um, and my, my story or my perspective on my story is always changing as I continue to grow and to grow closer to God. So, you know, dependent upon when I told my story, if I was in active addiction, because I'm also a recovering bulimic. So if I was sober, but I was binging and purging, a lot of my story would be filled with resentment um, and other people's faults and that kind of thing. But now that I'm clean and sober from everything, thanks, thanks be to God. Um, you know, my story is not filled with that. It's filled with a lot more. My, my story has changed. Um, because there was a time where I, you know, so I got sober when I was two weeks before my 21st birthday, I was in rehab for the third time. And I was in rehab for bulimia and alcohol. And so I put down the alcohol and again, thanks be to God, I have not, I've been sober for 21 years. Um, but I never put down the bulimia until two years ago, this February. So a lot of times I would tell my story at a meeting and, you know, binge and purge after that. Um, so what it was like, um, I grew up, um, you know, right outside of Philadelphia, which is where I met you. And I'm a middle child. My parents had three kids in three years and I've had three kids in two and a half years. So uh, definitely following in my mom and dad's footsteps. And I, I have the utmost respect for them even more so now. Um, but I was always, um, I guess, starting in kindergarten, um, I was overweight. And, you know, I was always the class clown. I didn't know how to, I, I think now looking back, I didn't know that I was overweight, which what a beautiful thing, you know, I didn't know I was overweight until I started to get made fun of, which I think happens probably like first grade. Um, so I didn't know that I was overweight. Um, but anyway, so my weight started to get, you know, started to increase. And I just remember, um, I listened to your podcast the other day with Robin Claire talking about the humiliation. And she also too is a recovery and bulimic and talking about that humiliation. There were so many moments for me growing up as a, as a kid, as a child, as a little girl where I was humiliated. Mm. Um, and I was, I was, she prompted me to think of those moments, those moments of humiliation and some of them just being, um, you know, I just remember waiting at the bus stop and there was a crack underneath my feet while I was waiting at the bus stop. 
and one of the kids say, Becky, did you put that there? Because you know, you're like huge, you're an earthquake. And I just don't forget that. Um, and that's just citing a little bit of an example. So that's humiliation. So what I did in that moment, I think I had to be in at least second grade because we lived in the home that I grew up in at the time. And I just remember I took that comment and I went, stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down and got on the bus. And I never shared that with anybody. I'd carry that with me. So what would happen was I would go to school. I had, I always had lots of friends. I was, I think I was pretty fun to be around. Um, I always had my friends and, but I would come home from school and there were several times where, and you know, I don't fault my mom at all. She did the best that she could with the situation. It's like, how do you handle it? Um, but I would come home and my brother and sister would have a certain snack put out and I would have a different snack, like a healthy snack. And so coupling that healthy snack with what happened at the bus stop or with what happened at school that day, I just less than not good enough. Oh my God, why, why am I so different? Why don't I fit? And so I would take the healthy snack and, you know, nine times out of 10, probably sneak other things just because I didn't know how to say, Hey, listen, this happened at the bus stop today. And I am so sad. I am so sad. Can someone please just give me a hug? So I didn't do that. So what I did was I just stuffed it. And so that went on for years and I got heavier and heavier. And there were moments where, um, you know, I, I went on Weight Watchers for kids, which was another thing. And I would get like addicted to like, you know, okay, how many points is this? That's just how my mind worked. Um, but I was, I remember being on Weight Watchers for kids when I was in, I think junior high. Um, and then when I was in eighth grade, going into ninth grade, I was very, very heavy and I got a herniated disc. And they, we tried everything for the herniated disc, like physical therapy, everything, every option that you could try before surgery. None of those options worked. So I went to, I got, I got surgery and I just, this is another memory that I have. My mom and dad were obviously with me at surgery. I was 13, 14, and it was the summer going into ninth grade. And I just remember them pushing me out of surgery or pushing me into it. I forget, but I was on the gurney and hearing somebody say, we got a big one here about me. And um, yeah, so that was humiliating, you know? So I went into ninth grade. I was pretty heavy at that time. I remember, I think that might've been my heaviest. And um, I went to an all girls private school and I hated it. And I just remember I didn't fit. I had all these friends in elementary school because that was, you know, it was just a different time of growing up. But going into high school, it was like boys were involved, cliques were involved. And I didn't fit that picture. I didn't fit. So I didn't have any friends in ninth grade. I do remember that. And I also remember that I had really great grades in elementary school and I just started to take a decline. So much so that I remember um, my mom getting called in to meet with my geography teacher. I forget her name, but I remember being like, oh my God, I'm one of those kids. I can't get good grades. Mm -hmm. And my mom has got, to, got called in for a parent-teacher conference. And I always used to have like distinguished honors. And I remember just thinking that to myself, like, oh my God, I'm falling into that like category. Um, but it wasn't about my grades. It was about the fact that I was in so much pain and I didn't know how to tell you. And I was already self-medicating because I didn't know any other way. So food made me feel good for a moment. And I remember, um, I have a vivid memory. You know, I, I, you know, I obviously had to sneak food in order for me to be as heavy as I was, because if I just ate what my parents fed me, I wouldn't have been that heavy. But I just actually thought of something. I remember in elementary school, this is right before high school, so I'm gonna backtrack for a second. And I'm just gonna share this because like you said, if I can help somebody else, that's all I wanna do. Because I never knew that there were other people like me. But I remember um, my mom actually started teaching at, I went to a private elementary school as well. And my mom started teaching there. I believe I was in sixth grade at the time. And um, I was waiting for her one day after school for us to go home. And I think my brother may have had an activity and my sister was already in high school. So they had um, at my school, we had like break every day so you can get soft pretzels or um, powdered donuts. 
and um, I found the closet where they stored all of the soft pretzels and the donuts. And um, I was waiting for my mom. I think I had maybe like 45 minutes, enough time, whatever the time was, it was enough time for me to go into that closet, to shut it, to keep the lights off and to eat all the donuts so much so that it got onto, we had a navy blue sweater and all the powder was down my shirt and all the pretzel salt was down my shirt. And I just remember like shoving it in my face. And I was in the oldest I was at the time was 13. So I was 12 or 13. And I just remember trying to clean it up, clean it up, clean it up, make sure no one can see it. And I stole all of that. That wasn't mine. That was set up for the next day for someone's class. And I went to my mom's classroom and got in the car and went home and I never told anybody. And um, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I became bulimic eventually in 10th grade but my drug of choice was always pretzels and donuts. And I didn't realize that until like I tied that together one time at therapy, it was always pretzels and donuts. And I, I didn't tie it together because that memory is something that I just pushed down. It didn't happen, it didn't happen, but it did happen. And when I started to make all the connections, I realized, oh my gosh, I did that frequently. I would go hide in that closet while I waited for my mom. So in ninth grade, I just remember coming home from school and just begging my parents to send me somewhere else. Like, I just don't want to go to this school. I hate it. I just don't, I, I don't think I could say I didn't fit in, but I just, it was just, I couldn't say I felt different, but I just, I just told them I hated it. It was the school's fault. It was their fault. Mm -hmm. It's not me, it's them, but it was me. I was just in so much pain. So I never switched schools, but I remember going into 10th grade I went on my, one. it wasn't my first diet, but I went on a diet and I joined this fitness club with my sister and we did like step aerobics. And I just remember I'd lost like 20 pounds and just started to like cut out some of the bad stuff. And I just had euphoria from losing that weight. So I went into to 10th grade and I was like 20, 25 pounds lighter through the summer. And I, I started to connect with this group of girls. And one day after school, the one girl was like, I make myself sick and whether she was an addict or not, it didn't matter because she planted that seed with me and I was an addict. It doesn't matter whether she was, because if I wasn't an addict, I would have been able to try it and be like, Ooh, that's, you know, terrible, but I did it. And it was the beginning of, it was the beginning of a 27 year journey with bulimia. So I was 16 and I remember coming in from school and I was hanging out with these girls who were like buying laxatives, all of this stuff. And I had my after school snack and I was eight, my parents were at work. My brother went to school in the city. My sister was, you know, at an activity or she was, you know, doing her own thing. And I made myself sick. And I remember going to the dinner table that night, knowing that I got sick, that I didn't have that snack in me and just feeling like, you know, I'm going to try this after dinner too. And it just never, it, it never ended. It kept going. So I lost a lot of weight pretty quickly. And, um, but the interesting part was I lost a lot of weight pretty quickly, but there was food missing from our house. I used to put my hand in to like, for example, tasty cake boxes without ripping the box open. I would put my hand in, slide my hand underneath, take all the, take all of the packages out and leave maybe like an, one package left. And I convinced my parents that they got bad packages, that it must've been their fault at the store. They made a huge mistake, but I did that all the time. And they just never put the, cause it's that absurd. They never put two and two together. And I don't, you know, who would? It's just, they were like, yeah, you're probably right. We just got, but I did that all the time. And um, so I lost a lot of weight and um you know, this is the part of the story where it's like, what happened? Like so much happened, but it all falls under the same umbrella of, um, I was in a lot of pain. I started to associate with people that would help me to self-medicate to make myself feel better. And um, so high school went on and I did start to like it because I found other groups of friends who smoked pot, um, who drank. And I remember we had like these mixers with the boy high school and like my junior year of high school or my sophomore year, I forget, but it was when I was doing the bulimia and I started to drink. And I remember the first time I drank for a mixer and like, I couldn't even go in. I was just so, I, I couldn't just, you know, they would just drink and get like a little buzz just to feel good. And I would 
um, you know, I was loaded. I couldn't even go in. I was just already in a bad, you know, I don't want to say an embarrassment, but I had to always have somebody take care of me. Like make sure Becky's okay. Let's make sure. Be- and that's another theme that went throughout my journey. We need to make sure Becky's okay. Like in my family of origin, again, no fault of theirs, but it was always Becky's the addict. Let's make sure she's okay. When in fact, that wasn't it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But um, so I remember I went to my, I went to the Renfrew Center when I was a junior in high school because some of the girls went to the counselors at school and just said, you know, we're really worried about Becky. It, it got that bad. So, you know, band-aids were put on it, um, which that's all we knew. That's we, All we could do is what we knew at that time. And that's what we did. So I went off to college. I'd already had a couple of interventions. Went off to college, was on academic probation, my first. So the way that I decided to go to college was just, you know, people go and tour schools and stuff. They're like, oh, I don't like this one. I like this one. I didn't do that. I was just like, mm, this one looks good. You know, half my school's going here. That should be good. And I didn't realize what a small school it was. It was Catholic University in Washington, DC. And I just didn't know. I didn't know anything really about it. Everything was, that's another part of my disease. Everything's so impulsive. It's just like, that sounds good. Let's do it. Okay, great. Sounds good. There's no thought process. There's no processing. There's no, um, you know, let me think about it and get back to you. It's just like, sounds good. Let's do it. Is it going to make me feel good? Great. What is it? I don't care. Is it going to make me change the way I feel? Great. Let's do it. Is everybody else doing it? Great. Do I like it? I'm not sure. But if they're doing it, I'll do it because that means that they'll like me, you know? So I went to this school not knowing that it was really, really small. And on the first night, you know, I got really drunk and um, everybody on the campus knew who I was already. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know it was this small. So I already made a name for myself. Um, I was on academic probation my first semester. And I remember coming home over like the little break that we had. And there was another intervention at that time with my parents. I don't know if my brother and sister were there, um, but I was just, you know, I pulled the transition card, the adjustment card. I'm taking time to adjust. Um, so moving on, I did better with my grades, but I was in rehab again between um, my freshman year, my sophomore year of college. I went to a rehab in Colorado that my mom found and it was for bulimia. And I remember being there and it was, I think it was Catholic based because my therapist I remember was a nun. And one of the things, one of the reasons that led me to this rehab too, was I was a nanny during that summer and I was babysitting these two little boys. And one of the little boys was very heavy. And I would be there like from nine to five, you know, the parent was what I was, it was my job for the summer. And I just remember, um, a couple of occasions where the parents would come home from work. And I'm trying to think of the little boy's name. I'm drawing a blank right now on what his name was, but whatever his name was, they would be like, where's all the, um, where's all the cookies that were in the freezer, all of the Girl Scout cookies. And they would blame him, but I did it. I did it. So I would binge and purge every day, all day while I was there. So it got really bad. So I went to this rehab in Colorado and I was in this therapy session with this nun. And I just remember her saying to me, do you think you have a problem with alcohol? And I said, absolutely not. It's just the bulimia, because the bulimia was, what worked for me to numb at that time. Um, the alcohol did too, but um, so anyway, so I went to this therapy or she was one of the people who called me out on it. I did not get sober. I went back to school. I went back home. I went back to school and it's like, oh my God, I want to have everything signed. I'm good. I'm good. And I remember going back to school that year and somebody mentioning to me how I had gained weight between freshman year and sophomore year, like a, somebody that I knew from school. And I just remember that stuck with me. That's another like a, a moment where it was like, oh my God, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but that's part of my story where I was like, I remember that. And I, again, internalized it. I was like, how can I figure out how to lose weight again? You know? And um, so my bulimia just skyrocketed. It got worse and worse and worse. And I was in rehab again the next summer because, um, you know, the drinking was out of control. Everything was out of control. Um, I gave up opportunities that were given to me, um, like internships and stuff. And um, so there was another intervention with my whole family the, the following summer for the bulimia and the alcohol. It started because of the alcohol, but I was stealing food from all the people that I live with. So I would get drunk. It was just the cycle. I would get drunk. I would get high. 
I'd be in a blackout and I'd steal everybody's food. I'd eat it and then um, make myself sick and then wake up the next morning to just people fighting with me. Like, why do you keep stealing our food? And I never remember doing any of that. So I, I went down to Florida um, when I was, like I said, when, when I was 20 and um, I was in rehab there for bulimia, for alcohol um, for three months. Mm. And I stayed sober, thank God. But I remember, um, you know, there was a time too, there's been a lot of times actually in my journey where I, you know, I'd be bulimic, I'd be acting out on my bulimia and be like, God, I got sober way too young. I should just start drinking again. Like it really wasn't that bad. And today I can say to you that I know that I got sober that young because I would, and you know, you hear this in the rooms a lot, like I would be dead. I would be dead. I would be dead. My bulimia took me to places, dangerous neighborhoods, um, and my bulimia progressed. I stayed sober, and but it just progressed to the point of, I'll just cite some examples because again, I, I would imagine that these kinds of examples are the things that people do and they don't talk about it. And I want them to know that, you know, if you're listening and you've done these things, it's okay and you're not alone. But I would just always go to dangerous neighborhoods to act out in my bulimia because um, I was scared I would bump into somebody that I knew. And I think most of all, because I felt like such a piece of shit. Like this is where I belong. I'm so, I'm just shit. And I would, I would spend so much money on my bulimia that I remember I would have to, I would have payday would be on Friday, every other Friday at my job. And I would go out at 12.01 on Thursday night. At 12.01, I would drive around in the dark, everyone's sleeping and I'm just trying to find, I remember I would go to the Dunkin' Donuts that was always open in Wayne actually at a gas station. And I hated the guy that worked there because I was so angry at him for serving me every other Thursday night. I was so angry at him. I'm like, don't you see I'm bulimic? I'm, don't, I remember a couple of times he saw me get into the car shoving it in my face at like 12.05 in the morning. And I was so mad at him for not asking me if I needed any help. I do, I needed help. And um, I, I just, I remember actually having to do a fifth step on him. That's how much I hated him because I just wanted him to help me. I didn't want him to serve me. And so it, it progressed and, um, you know, I stayed sober, like I said, but um, I'm just trying to think, I, I feel like I'm going on and on. So I'm just trying to like wrap it up a little bit, but I met my husband, um, yeah jump in give I you a breath like... i'm gonna give you a breath now i'm gonna give you okay he said to me once god you're so good and patient you don't interrupt and i try not to but i'm like i feel like you need a breath for one it's um you're so, thank you for doing this mm -hmm. thanks for letting me thanks for the opportunity and i really it's that you're really strong i have to point that out you are really strong because i know this is something that's been inside you for a really long time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a lot of courage and i want to mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Okay. And when we take a deep breath, so you went in to, you came out of Florida and you haven't had a drink since then, but how long did you go without getting sick? The longest I went was, I remember I was doing a food plan, recovering food addicts anonymous, where you would weigh and measure everything, which I also got addicted to. Yeah. So I had one year and then, um, so that's the longest that I went. Was that right after Florida? It was, I would say I was probably, yes, it was right after. So I got sober. I moved up to back to DC to finish school and then went back to Florida and had my first job out of school. Stayed down there for one year. And then this was right after that time. And you say, so, and you, and you did food eaters. Is it called food eaters anonymous? What is it called? It's so there was, I tried all of them. So like being an AA, I would always meet people who had eating disorders as well. And they'd be like, come to this, come to that. And I would try it. And I just, it never stuck, but this was RFA recovering food addicts. And it was way to measure everything. And so I think, I think I got a year under my belt and then it just, at Easter time, I remember I relapsed because I went to the CVS and bought all the um, Easter candy on clearance. So it was like a couple of oh, the week after Easter, as I remember. And it was like, again, the CVS in Wayne, I would go to it like 10 o'clock at night. And I was always, my heart was always pounding because I'm like, I'm going to see somebody from AA. Oh my God, I'm going to see somebody from AA. And they're going to, which has happened before in 
one of my instances. I don't know if you remember Pepsi Al. Mm. Do you remember Pepsi Al? Yeah. I saw him when I was like on a bender. And when I was, it was, a, it was a true bender. Like I was seriously like tunnel vision, get the F out of my way. I am on an F in mission. Like, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. You know, so, and he was delivering Pepsi to a Gennardi's that was actually close to my work. Um, so I saw him and I just remember like, you know, and he's like, how's everything? And he knew I was bulimic. It's always been a part of my story, you know? And I, I think in that moment he knew what I was and he left me alone. So. And did other people notice it? And would you, cause you went to meetings this entire time. You would go to a meeting every, I did. every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause I wanted to be well, I wanted to be free, but I had the mindset that I was, I'm never, I'm always going to be bulimic. That's just who I am. I'm always going to, Becky the bulimic. I'm always going to be bulimic. It's all I knew. It was like brushing my teeth. So I convinced myself of that because that's where my, that's where my disease rests in my mind. And it, it was, you know, like our disease tells us stories. Like people talk about the rabbit hole. Like that's where recovery is for me is I'm able today to recognize, okay, Becky, is that real? You know? So that thought of like, I'm always going to be bulimic. That's not true. Right. And, but I, I convinced myself of that for probably over 20 years. And during this time, so you're going on with your regular life. You have the same job, like you have had the same job for 17, 17 years. Yeah. You, so you're having jobs, you're having relationships with other people, obviously mm -hmm. family, mm -hmm. friends. you dated other people before you married mm -hmm. your wonderful husband. Yes. <laughs> And during that, those times, what was that like? I mean, so did anybody even know or get wind of it, boyfriends or anything? Yes. So I did, I'm just trying to think, I did date a guy in AA and I remember him coming to pick me up and I was in the middle. I knew I needed to binge and purge before he came to get me and I had just finished. So my eyes were still bloodshot and I remember how angry he was. Like you want, we all have to stay sober and here you are self-medicating. Like, come on, this is such a, this is bullshit. And obviously it didn't last that much longer after that. But with that comment, again, he did nothing wrong, but I took the way that he responded or reacted and I shoved it down and my bulimia got worse mm -hmm. because I'm like, see, I told you I can't snap out of this shit. Someone effing help me, help me, please. Somebody help me. And you know, if that makes any sense, like I would take these comments and just see, I told you I'm such a piece of shit. Let me go to a dangerous neighborhood or let me go out to Lancaster County to the Walmart there because that's where I, you know, that's where I did. Um, but I also remember, so I was living in Wayne and there was a terrible snowstorm coming, terrible. And I went to a meeting at the Malvern Center before the snowstorm right after work. So I would go from work down to the Malvern Center, go to the meeting and I remember coming back and getting all my food for the snowstorm. And it was such a bad snowstorm and I ran out of food. And I lived right across the street from the Wawa in Wayne. And like, it was just like feet of, like I, I just remember it being tremendous amounts of snow, but it didn't stop me. I trekked, I walked across to the Wawa um, in the snow, got all my food. Again, that was the only place that I could go at the time. I was, the fear of bumping into somebody I knew was just, it was just huge, but I did it and I, I got to the point where I would pass out um, mm. and there was just, it was like a war zone to my bulimia. Um, and I guess my parents were trying to call me just to check in and see how I was and I never answered. So then my siblings, my brother and sister started to call me and I didn't answer. So my parents drove over like 30 minutes from their home to make sure that I was alive and walked in on me. I was passed out. So Again, I was like, somebody just help me. And the way that that was helped, again, we didn't know. You, didn't, you don't know until you know, but I moved. So I moved from Wayne to Westchester. That's how that, I needed to leave that apartment, which was such a, uh, uh, the space that I created there was just, it was like a bulimia space. Um, so I moved to Westchester because of that. Um, say that again? A geographical cure. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, certain things I would like redecorate my bathroom. I remember one time, oh my gosh, I had a sponsor who had the most beautiful nails. And I remember like she and I would meet and do step work. And I remember thinking to myself, like I would not make myself sick if I had those nails. 
I wouldn't, I would definitely not make myself sick because it would hurt too much. And so I went one day after work and I remember like thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm spending $50 on nails, which that's the other crazy part. Like, oh my God, do you know what you said on your disease, Becky? Like, I think I always thought that because I'm like, oh my God, am I going to have any money left for my disease? But that I'm just trying to cite that as an example of that was another band-aid. Let me get these fake nails, which again, weren't even my style, (laughs) but I did it. And you know how I handled that when I wanted to get sick, you know, 10 minutes later, ripped those, ripped them off. I was just like, get these off of me because nothing would stop. As you know, nothing stops you. Mm, So, um, so you're yes. going on in life and you're dating people and you are so now you're living in Westchester and you're, you're, you don't have a significant other at this point. And I've dated around, I went on a few days with right. people in AA, but yeah. But nobody's serious. And then what happened when this, so, that's, that you. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I, I went on match.com and, um, I think I started to be able to get like six days at a time. I would put like six days together and then binge and purge. But, um, or maybe like a week. And that was just happening in Westchester. Cause once you moved there, you started to be like, okay. And were you seeing a therapist or anything at the same time? I was, yes, I did see a therapist. Yes. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I did see a therapist, uh, because the bulimia was just so bad. Um, and I remember her saying to me, like, Becky, you've got to heal the trauma within like the little girl, like those stories that I shared with you about the bus stop and the, and the locking myself in the closet at school, like, and also, you know, get made fun of in my neighborhood and going and hiding in a, in a closet because I was just so sad. And I just wanted to be able to be like, oh my God, somebody like, is anybody out there? Is anybody out there? Can somebody just give me a big hug and not let go? Please just tell me that I'm safe. Just tell me that I'm okay. As I am. Tell me that I'm okay. Just as Becky. You know what I mean? Like my whole life, it would be like, oh my God, you like purple? So do I. Like I never, I never knew who I was. I never knew what I liked. You know, I remember I I wanted to get a nose ring so bad. And I got, I actually, my friend pierced it when I was in a freshman in college. I remember coming home with it and I wasn't allowed to have it. And like, again, no fault to my parents, but it was like, I didn't, that was who I was. I did. I liked the nose ring, you know? And, um, but it was like, I think I was in a lot of pain because I was, you know, what they say in the program to thine own self be true. And it's taken me so many years to realize who I am and that, you know, it takes courage to be true to yourself. And when I met my husband, um, I met my husband on match.com and I knew, I was like, I remember people always said, like, you're just going to know, Becky, because I went on all these dates and I tried to force things, you know, because that's what also what I do in bulimia, like in my addiction. I'm like, this is, I can make this work. I have control. Look, watch, I will. And you know, that works temporarily, but it doesn't stick. But when I met him, I remember he lived like an hour and 10 minutes away in Bucks County. And we started by talking on the phone and I just, I knew. So we met and it was like a terrible rainstorm. And he was late because the, he was coming down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And I, I, we locked eyes and I, we haven't been apart since, but I remember, um, I remember it, he has tattoos and I remember telling him like, this sounds funny, but I, I loved the tattoos. I was like, can you get some more? You know, <laughs> but I remember and I saying can see to him, one in the camera, by the way. So those of you watching this on YouTube, you can see she has one. <laughs> I did. And I got it with my husband last year, actually. <laughs> and it says be free be free because that's what I said to each of my kids when they were born. And that's all I want for them is to be free and to be who they are. And it's my job as their mom to nurture that and to give them the platform to, to grow up, to be who God meant for them to be. That's the greatest gift that I can give them. So um, whether or not that, you know, aligns with what I want, it's not, that's, it's none of my business. It's up to God. God's already created them. He already knows. And he's given me that job to be like, Becky, I'm giving you this huge responsibility to, I, I, to work in partnership with God, right? That's what we do as parents. We work in partnership with him. So they're on loan to me because they're eventually going to return to their creator, as am I. I was on loan to my parents. I am on loan to my parents. So, but I remember when I met my husband, I was like, listen, we go down the shore in the summertime you've got to hide those tattoos. You're going, and I remember him looking at me and being like, are you kidding me? No, absolutely not. But I said that to him out of fear, like, oh my God, here, here's how, this is how we do it in the fifth step, right? Or the fourth step. It's like, 
this is what scares me fear of losing something that I have or fear of not getting something that I want. I had such a real tangible fear that I would lose him. If my, if my family saw his tattoos, he would be taken away from me. And that's not what I wanted because I knew that he was my soulmate. I knew that we were, we were engaged eight months after we went on our first date. I knew it, you know? So, but I do remember on our first date, I did tell him that I was sober. So that was, and I remember also saying to him on our first date that um, God is number one. And it took him a while to process, process that. And I remember we were on a run um, down, we went down to Washington DC to celebrate my brother's engagement. And I remember him stopping me dead and we stopped it. He's like, Beck, wait a second. I just have to tell you something. And I remember being like, yeah, what, what? And this was two months after our first date. He's like, I understand what you mean now that God is number one. He said, I didn't understand it when you told me on our first date. He's like, I get it now because that's what enables you to be here. That's, you know, he's the overarching, you know, so it took him a little bit to understand, but now, I mean, my husband, you know, there's nothing, he, he's not an addict, but my God, does he, he gets it. He gets it. Um, so um, anyways, did you tell him about your bulimia? So I told him about my bulimia probably a month into it. I remember it was like a Sunday afternoon. This is another interesting part. It was like a Sunday afternoon and um, I did, I told him. Um, but I also told him that I wasn't really active because I didn't want to make it as bad as it was. So he lived an hour from me. So what would happen was I would be at his house on the weekends. And then during the week, you know, I went back to Westchester and he would come on Thursday. So we were together like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I would go back on Monday morning. So I would binge and purge during the week when we were apart. There was one time at his house when we were dating where I think he was like at CrossFit or something, but I binged and purged. And I remember, like I shared with you that I do get into like this, I, it is like a, like, it's like you're drunk. Everything's real fuzzy and I remember he called me or pardon me. I, and so I went out afterwards. And I remember I came home and he's holding all these empty wrappers when I walked in the house and he's like, who was here? Who did you let into this house? He didn't understand. He thought I had somebody over. He's like, who did you let into this house back? Who, what is this? Cause he knew that I didn't eat this stuff because for me, like sugar, all that stuff is, um, it's a, it's a drug and it's one is too many and a thousand's not enough. So there's all these wrappers. And I was just, he caught me red-handed and I just said, listen, I, I binged and purged. And um, so anyway, so I share that because my husband has, he's had a front row seat to my disease. Um, so, so yeah, he saw the remnants of it. And yeah. he's all along the whole way. He's yeah, and it's like that whole fear of like, you're gonna leave. I didn't have, I never had that with him because the reason I didn't have that with him, and if I did, it was like super fleeting in the beginning. The reason I didn't have that with him is because he brought out who God made me to be, if that makes sense. And that's the person that I'm supposed to be. I'm not putting on an act. So I knew that if he loved that person, that he wouldn't go anywhere because she's not going anywhere. Whereas I would always put on masks and costumes to match up what you wanted me to be. If, we, if I was dating somebody who, you know, we didn't have the same interest, but he looked good on the outside. I would make myself what he wanted me to be. But Phil brought out who I am. So I knew he wasn't going anywhere. Does that make sense? Um, so that's why we probably have three kids in two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> and so. so you kept married. And even though he went down to the shore with his big tattoos or little <laughs> tattoos or whatever, cause you know, my husband is the same thing. Yeah. And, um, and it was okay. Your family was okay. Yeah. They love him. My mom, Phil always tells the story, um, about the first time he met my family. We all went out to dinner and he's always tells how my mom was the first, she sat right down next to him on the couch and was just like, we are just so happy that you're here, Phil. We just love you. My parents. Yes. He's been they know he's my soulmate. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. So my, yeah, they, they love him and he, and he loves them. So I always tell my sister, I'm like, Oh my God, I married like the male version of you. There's, they have a lot of similarities. It's kind of funny, but anyway, yeah. So he's, um, he's definitely, you know, whenever I doubt God's plan or doubt that God knows what he's doing, I'm reminded of the many times in my life 
that he has shown that he does know what he's doing. Just relax, give, you know. And tell so, me, so when you met him and then you bring him down to the shore and he's caught you that one time with the food everywhere, did it stop or would you still keep doing it during the week? I would still keep doing it because we didn't have kids. So this is a tough part to talk about. Um, I got, I, so my youngest is going to be two next week and I binged and purged until she was a month old. So it's so, if that answers your question. So um, again, the story I would tell myself, which isn't true, but the story that I would tell myself is this is just who I am. This is how I handle things. But the other reason I continued to binge and purge is that I had shit inside of me that I hadn't gotten out. I had shit inside of me that was still there that was dictating my, my narrative, you know? So um, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but um, so I'm gonna just stuff. So you went back to, so I want to talk about, so then he asked you to marry him. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're just hiding and doing this during the week. You're not doing it on the week from, from Thursday. Well, I moved in with him when we got engaged. So we were together. So eight yeah. months, so eight months, then you, what, how do you, how do you keep doing this? When would you do it? I had like a special time where he, so Phil's always worked from home or at least for like the past, you know, 14 years. Um, I would do it when he went to CrossFit. So I would do it in like an hour or you're actually reminding me. I was actually at the giant the other day with my daughter and she had to go to the, she had to go to the potty. And this was on Saturday. And I remember taking her into the potty and I had a flashback to, to answer your question. How would I do it? I would do it. I would binge in my car and I would go into the giant down the street from our house, probably pretty frequently. Um, and I remember that was my safe place to purge because the bathroom was like right there when you, um, would walk in and I, I, my stomach was always like protruding. I was always to the point of being uncomfortable. So I had to run really, really fast to get into the bathroom. So see, these are the things that like you forget because it became just an every day. So that's what I did. I remember. And, um, that, and I would go to the staples down the street and I would come home and, you know, say that I was at yoga or that I was at a meeting and I wasn't. And, um, and this is, this is going to be a hard question, but I want to ask you this. So when you found out you were pregnant with each of your kids, would it stop then or would it keep going? So I always thought to myself, I'm going to stop when I'm pregnant and, um, you know, things are going to be better when fill in the blank, things are going to stop when fill in the blank. And I'm a true Testament to that. I, I binged and purged through all three of my pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay because they're healthy. Yeah. And thank God you're okay. Yeah. And it is a disease. It mm -hmm. is. And it makes us, and we makes us have shame, right? And that's the yeah. shame. We're setting, you know, I want all the listeners that are listening, as hard as this is, you know, this is how we get free, right? Yeah. Yes. And I would do it thinking to myself that like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm already a bad mother. Um, so I, I, again, I want to, I want to share my truth because I just want to help. I know that I'm not the only one who's done that. And I just, if I can stop, help somebody just to be like, I don't want to do this, then that's all I want to do because there is an easier, softer way. It doesn't have, I remember when I had my daughter, Kyla, who was going to be, um, two in one week, I remember we brought her home and um, my other two were asleep. It was like eight or eight thirty at night and Phil had fallen asleep on the couch. Cause like we had the newborn and two toddlers. And I just remember sitting there holding her. I was sitting against the couch and Phil was behind me asleep on the couch. And I just started texting my cousin who's also in the program. And she's also in, re in recovery from food addiction. And I started texting her and being like, I don't know what to do. I am bulimic. I have three babies. My oldest is two. Um, and I just don't know what to do. And she just, I don't remember what she said. All I remember is that I started to call her every day, starting the next day. And one day tapped onto another day, tapped onto another day. And it just started to add up. 
And then I remember last year when my daughter turned one, I looked at Phil, I'm like, oh my God. And Phil knows the truth, obviously. I was like, I have a year without binging a protein pill. Like, it's just like, so that's how it started. I just remember I had her home. She was a month old and I'm just like, I can't do this. I have this baby. I've got two babies upstairs. I have two girls who, you know, I want to, I want, you know, I want to be able to be a role model for them to, you know, about being healthy and, um, and also I want to be able to teach them how to have a relationship with God. And I can't teach them that if I don't have one, I can't teach them that if, you know, I am hanging my head over a toilet. So I just, that's how it started. I don't remember what my cousin said, but I remember she would send me like daily thoughts. She just stayed on top of me. And, um, you know, she was my angel and I'm just forever indebted to her. And it's interesting because when she got sober, she called me. Yeah. So it's amazing how that works. Isn't but having the love and the compassion from another person and no judgment, no judgment. That's exactly what it is. No judgment. I want to share one more thing is, um, I remember my husband, Phil loves the Eagles. He loves football. He just loves the sport. It's on your so wall. Has, you know, there's two. Yes. There's two yes. Right <laughs> it's like everywhere here. Yes. <laughs> so I remember he went to, he goes to two away games a year. Obviously he didn't do it this year because this year is crazy town. Right. But um, <laughs> I remember he was away. And so my disease, my husband was gone because we're, we're, we're together 24 seven. So we both work from home. We have our kids. It's like, it can be crazy, but Oh my God, I'm so thankful. Like we are like, he's my best friend. He's, we're just, we're glued, you know, we're, we're always together. So, um, I remember he left in my brain right away. Oh my God, Phil's gone. You have a full day to binge and purge. And I had these three babies and my littlest one was, or not my littlest, pardon me. My son was going to soccer and I remember taking them. So of course I put them all in the car. They all go to soccer. Phil was gone for the day and leaving soccer. And I was like, I'm going to binge and purge. My daughter was two and my, I had a newborn two and a half, uh, not a newborn, like she was an infant, two and a half and one and a half. And um, I just was like, I'm going to binge and purge. And I called my sister. I remember calling my sister, who's not an addict. And I was like, Katie, listen, I, I want to binge and purge. Phil's not here. And like, I'm sharing this because of the whole judgment thing. Mm -hmm. And you said like, isn't it so refreshing not to be judged? Yeah. And she didn't judge me. It was the first time I ever said to her, I'm like, listen, I want to binge and purge. I've got three babies in the fucking back seat. And I want to go through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. Um, and she just talked to me. She talked to me off the cliff. And she reminded me of, you know, I think the, the greatest gift she gave me was not to judge. And letting me know that I was safe. And the other greatest gift that she gave me, that my husband's given me, is, and that Katie gave me in that moment, was that she loves me for me. She loves me for me. You know, and um, I always tell her how lucky her kids are because, you know, she's, she's, she has, she's equipped to love them for who they are. And um, I feel like we live in a world today where parents are like, they're just so scared. They want their kids to fit this like societal mold and most kids don't. And so, but anyway, in that moment, I just remember calling her and I'm like, I want to binge and purge. And she's not an addict. She's not in, you know, she just doesn't think like that. She doesn't have the gene. And she just was like, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And it was, and I didn't binge and purge. So to be able to just, like you said, be empathetic and not to judge. Um, but I remember calling her and I was like, Katie, I just kept driving. So I ended up actually, when I was talking to her on the phone, I just stayed straight. And I remember I'm like, oh my God, Katie, I'm in a place where I used to binge and purge all the time. I was in Lancaster. I ended up in Lancaster when I was on the phone with her and she's like, okay, turn around. Can you look for some fun places that you want to go back to, you know, as a family that you can recreate some good memories. So, um, so anyway, so I share that because, you know, there's always angels in our, in our, on our journey. So just what a blessing to be open to it. Just like how I called you. I know it's like, I, I you hear all the angels, like Bill was the biggest angel. It sounds mm -hmm. like Bill was like able to be like, show you that, you know what, here I am. And we can say bumps, lumps, tattoos, you know, whatever it is. Cause I feel like this is just our costume, right? This yes. is the costume we wear. Right. And he was like, I don't care what anybody thinks. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. 
and like I, you know, I still struggle with it. Obviously, I, I mean, it's all part of my like, you know, what they say, peeling away the onion. Like now, I still struggle as a mom of like, you know, there's certain like, there's mom clicks, there's all that stuff, and um, you know, as I continue to fall more in love with my authentic self and be true to myself, it's getting to that space of like, you know what, if you don't fit in this circle if so-and-so doesn't fit, you know, in this little tight circle where I need to, you know, with people that I share with or people that I confide in, that's okay. And if they don't like me, that's okay. And if they don't like, if their kids don't want to hang out with my kids, that's okay. You know, I'm getting there. I'm getting there because I'm, you know, I'm covering people pleaser too. So it's like, because I always had so much shame. So I always wanted to make you happy because I was like, like what Robin Claire said, I'm addicted, I was addicted, I'm addicted to suffering. Yeah. Cause I'm so used to it. You know, the humiliation of growing up as a heavy kid, you're humiliated. So I became, that became normal for me. So if I can make you happy out in public, then I'm not happy with myself. So when I retreat into myself, cause bulimia is you do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you do it by yourself in a, in a bat, in some yucky, crazy spots. Um, it's, it's taken me a while to, get to a space where I love myself despite where my disease has taken me. And I, it's a very important for me to get to a space where I love my authentic self for me, but it's also very important for me to get there because I'm raised, I've been tasked. I've been given this, this opportunity, this blessing, this privilege. It's a sacred privilege to raise these little kids. Well, so they're, I, they're very lucky to have you. Thank you. So I can't get to that space if I don't love myself because then I'm going to try to do to them you know what I mean? Like do this, do that. And it's like, no, you know, um, if that makes sense, I'm able to, to take a, a, my view of the big picture with that. Your judgment out of it. Right. Cause we put this judgment of that. We, we walk outside and we judge everybody that's around us and everybody, I think has something right. Yes. No one goes through this unscathed. I mean, I feel like every person has something. Yes. And it's like, just like, um, you know, addiction affects the whole family. Like I think now in like rehabs or whatever, they bring the whole family in for their family therapy, which they did at mine as well. But I think recovery affects the whole family as well. So, um, so it touches everything in a good way. And now, cause, and I do want to bring up one part that we didn't talk about. And I just want to touch about it. And if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to, but you know, I've always been sober, not ashamed. Right. I mean, you mm-hmm. met me 14 years ago and I'm like, yes. everybody knew I was drunk falling out of the thing yeah and um for you you handled the anonymity different and um and what I want to talk about that and what made you do this today oh that's a great question um god I didn't even think about that I was I was so focused on what happened what what happened that big question so I you're absolutely right I don't talk about my sobriety and the fact that I have 21 years of continuous sobriety and that I got sober two weeks before my 20th birthday. And I think a lot of it too is like, you know, um, it's so normal to drink, you know, like moms are like, is it wine o'clock yet? You know, if I could drink wine, trust me, I would be like, is it wine o'clock yet? But I can't. And um, so I think I have a huge fear, again, the story that I tell myself, I'm not going to fit if I tell them that I'm sober. They're even, they may think less of me now because why would, you know, but they're going to really think less of me if I tell them that I'm sober and that I don't drink. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's that whole fear, which is again, not true. It's not true. And I'm saying that out loud. So, you know, there's a lot of people who are open about their sobriety. um, And I think it's been on my heart for a while that I want to be more open about it because, you know, these past 21 years, I, like you said, I've always been going, I've been around, AA has taught me so much. It's been my greatest teacher. And if I can take anything that I continue to learn and help somebody else, help another mom who's sober, but might be binging and purging at nighttime after her kids go to bed, that's all I want to do. And I do feel that, that, that God has just put that on my heart. So, um, I do. I just want to share that with other people. I just want to help them. It's just something that I, like I said, I've, 
I think I said that to, I've said that to Phil. I'm just like, I just want to help other people, other, other moms who are bulimic and alcoholic. Um, because I know I'm not the only one. I know there's somebody out there doing what I did. And I just, if I can help them to stop it sooner than I did, um, that's why I just, I'm ready. I, I'm in a space where I'm, like I said, I'm falling more in love with who I am and I know who I am and there's nothing, I don't need to pretend, you know? Um, so I don't need to pretend this is who I am. These, you know, people always say, these are the cards, you know, I'm an addict. I was born an addict and, you know, thank God that I got this gift when I did. So if I can help somebody else, it's not the 12th step, right? It is. Oh my God. <laughs> Becky, you've been awesome. This was really, really awesome. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank, Thank you for having me. You're and thanks for all you do to help me. I mean, like every single day I call you that just to check in and to be accountable and be like, listen, this is what my head's saying. I know it's not true, but I need to dump it here. So I continue to continue. So I can continue to freely move on with my day and be of service to my kids. Cause I think being a mom is a service position. A lot of times I can be of service to my kids. I can be of service to my husband and I can just be present. You know, my daughter's turning two next week, my littlest one. And I'm just like, I said to my sister this morning, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so emotional because she's been my fastest. I feel like I just brought her home. And I know eventually I'm gonna be like, oh my God, she's 20 and all that stuff. And it is so fast, but I'm just like, it's really, she's taught me um, more than anybody, the gift of just being in the now like not bringing my phone when I put her to bed, like not, none of that stuff, none, none of the distractions, just to be, just to watch them because they just change so much. So um, anyway, so I just wanted to say thank you for giving me the space to grow into who, who I'm supposed to be and who God made me to be. And you're amazing because I'm going to tell you this is, you know, just to, just to bring it all together in a big fat bubbly circle with a <laughs> present with a big bow on it. You know, you first talked about God and, you know, your relationship with God and with God has, you know, God gave you as a gift to your parents. And now, you know, your children are a gift to you. And when we talk about our real selves, our trials, our tribulations, our bumps, our lumps, our, um, our addiction, our pains, mm -hmm when we bring it out from in here, cause you were talking about stuffing all the time. Stuffing, that's dark, Years. right? Dark, mm -hmm. it's dark. We stuff it holes, dark, holes, rabbit holes, dark, yes. dark. Yeah. But what is God? Light. What mm -hmm. is bringing it up? It brings them into the sunlight of the spirit. Yes. And that's when we know, ah. Yeah. It's all okay. It's all okay. And he did, he, you know, he made this as part of our, this is all part of our purpose. Yeah. You know, it is, it's a privilege it is. to be sober. Ashamed of anymore. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. There isn't. No. It's like, we yeah. see, I hate to say that I stand out there naked because we all know that that wouldn't be that attractive. <laughs> <laughs> if we really were to stand outside and see, this is me and I want to love you till you love yourself. And that's what we learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, didn't we? Yes, we did. We did, and we continue to, and to be able to give that gift to somebody else, you know, it just takes so much energy to be who you think you need to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who you think you need to be. It, I did it for years and I'm like, it just doesn't, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. I'm not, I'm not making my, doing that to my kids, no. you know? No. Um, if my daughter comes home and says, Hey mom, I just want to try and get my hair purple for a little, I'm gonna be like, all right, well, let's try it. Let's just make sure it's not permanent, you know? But. <laughs> but let's try it, whatever. Like, I just, I, I think I'll, I just want to be more open with them. And, um, you know, if they come home and they're like, I hate school, like, all right, let's talk about it. Why, what happened? What happened today? Did you talk to, did somebody say something? Did, how, what, how are you feeling? What happened? Tell me, take me through your day so we can find where that pain is. And then I can just hold you and let you know that it's going to be okay. So, you know, being equipped to be able to do that today is, the greatest gift that I can give to my kids and to my husband who, you know, like you said, nobody goes on skates. He has pain yeah. being able to be like, just listen. I just want to listen with no judgment. No. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So, so if anyone is out there struggling, um, I'm, my door is always open and my phone is, you can always call. I would love to listen. 
And don't you know that, so if you're out there and you're listening and you feel alone, please reach out. You can reach me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y at busylivingsober.com, B-U-S-Y. And I will get you in touch with Becky. And um, I want to thank you again, because this has taken a lot of courage and I've had the privilege to work with you the past six months. And I, you've helped me in so many ways. It's not even funny. And, um, and I'm excited because we, this is just the beginning, you know, this mm -hmm. is just we are on this journey together and it just gets yep. better and better and this is just the start so who knows yes. what God's gonna have in store for us but I'm willing to walk with that and I I know I told everybody on here I wasn't gonna be on for a couple of weeks I'm really not I'm I'm really gonna try and not, I have to move and I have to pack but when I have things come up like this that I feel are so important I want to get there and have it happen. So I'm not being a hypocrite. I'm just felt like Becky was there and she wanted to do this. And I am always there for my people. So if you're there and you really, please reach out to us, busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, busy living somewhere. So until next time, keep getting busy. <laughs> so bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Love you, love you, love you so love much. Love you.